Hello and welcome to Mortgage Insider from Barclays, the podcast series that delves into the biggest challenges facing the mortgage broking industry. I'm Tony Rimmer, a business development manager from the Northwest. And I'm Claire McPhail, a business development manager in the Southeast. In this episode, we're finding out why trade bodies matter. We heard from two of the mortgage industry's leading associations. Kay Davis, Executive Director of the Intermediary Mortgage Lenders Association. Robert Sinclair, Chief Executive of the Association of Mortgage Intermediaries, told us why their organisations are more important than ever. Hi, Kate. Hi, Robert. Thanks for joining us today. Yes. Hi, hi Kate. Robert, a very warm welcome to you both. Thank you. Good to be here. Okay, let's jump straight in. Kate, if I can come to you first, could you briefly tell us about the role of IMLA? IMLA is now 33 years old, would you believe? It was set up to be a very small, informal grouping of lenders who were not banks or building societies, uh, but who were completely intermediated, all business done through intermediaries. Um, And as such, it was one of the trade associations that set up the old Council of Mortgage Lenders, which I used to work for. So it's a very small trade association. It has grown in membership. We now have banks and building societies and non-banks, specialist lenders in our membership. We have 44 members. Um, We are very small. I am the only employee and I am part time. I don't have a big policy team or research team working with me. Um, So we have to cut our cloth accordingly. And in doing that, we um, main purpose is to bring members together to give them opportunities to speak to their peer group to discuss life of the price of fish and how the mortgage market is going, um, what current problems there are, what policy issues there are. That's the visible side to the members. Then there's a less visible side, which is representing them. Um, I have my ear to the ground, I hope, most of the time um, uh, regarding what their concerns are. And then I meet regularly with the regulators, the FCA, the PRA. Uh, We go to the Bank of England, um, the Treasury, um, and government departments to represent the views of the members more widely. When I say we go, I go along with a small handpicked team from my management committee. This is elected members um, who are directors of IMLA, um, all very experienced people in the mortgage world and able to give a, a very clear view of where they see the market going. So there's a sort of visible and invisible role, if you like, for the members. And I hope that's what they find is the main benefit. Thanks, Kay. And Robert, would you briefly explain to us about the role of AMI in the industry, please. Yes, the AMI is the Association of Mortgage Intermediaries. So uh, Kate and Imla look after the lender side and AMI looks after the broker side. Um, AMI was created in 2003, was in fact sponsored by um, the Intermediate Mortgage Lenders Association to be created. So Imla is the mother or father of all the different trade bodies in terms of creating other entities which it could operate alongside. So in 2003, just before mortgage regulation, AMI became a sub-brand, effectively, of what was the Association of Independent Financial Advisors and um, took up that space of representing mortgage brokers in that arena. And the gap is that really IMLA and UK Finance and the Building Sites Association look after the lender side, the distribution manufacturer, the manufacturing part of of the trade body world. And AMI is really the trade body that represents distribution. Those people who operate in the area of... um, um, selling to and advising on mortgages to customers. In 2012, Amy became slightly separate in that uh, we went for independence, um, left AIFA and set up our own rights in 2012 and therefore became a freestanding trade body. We represent probably about 80% of mortgage distribution in the UK and that all the major networks, mortgage clubs and large distribution partners 
that lenders have out there are members of AME and are part of our policymaking board, part of um, our working groups, um, which are predominantly in the areas of sales and also in the areas of uh, risk and compliance. And we've just started up a new piece on the protection marketplace in the last uh, 12 months. So we have a new protection specialist group who are really looking at how the sale and, and marketing of um, protection products and general insurance products is, is operated through mortgage intermediaries. Thank you. I mean, certainly the brokers that I've spoken to before speaking to you about sort of how their awareness, the ones through the network seem to have a, a clear awareness, but some of my directly authorised ones were a little bit like, oh, who are they? You know, what are they doing? So interesting, as you say, the presence there. Um, so, Tony, you were going to ask something, weren't you? I was. Thank you, Claire. What would you say are the biggest challenges facing us in the mortgage industry today? I was thinking about this earlier. There are challenges that the industry can do something about, and there are challenges that are kind of external um, and that we have to live with. So the ones we have to live with, are the general economic situation, this incredible long-term low interest rate scenario that we've been living in for such a long time, which puts huge pressure on lenders' margins, they're getting ever smaller, and very fierce competition amongst amongst lenders. So um, that, that's a big challenge for, for any lender, and it points towards a need to become ever more efficient. Uh, that maybe leads us on to using technology more and better, working smarter, not harder, all that sort of thing. Other things outside our control, housing supply. Goodness knows what the impact of Brexit is actually going to be. We've had a year of, year of almost phony war in, of, of having got Brexit done and then suddenly having COVID lumped on us. And we still don't really know where we're going to be in a post-Brexit world, what impact that might have on the economy and therefore on the housing market. Um, and then there are blindsiders that come along like something like Grenfell and cladding and we're going to say COVID. So lots of things out of our control, things within our control that we can try um, and improve on constantly, as I say, working together with intermediaries who sell so many of, of the mortgages out there, a huge number. Um, as IMLA was started to represent the intermediated lenders who weren't banks or building societies. But my goodness, the banks and building societies use intermediary distribution now for uh, the vast majority of their, their mortgage sales. So there's, there isn't that split between intermediated and non-intermediated that there might have been 40 years ago or, or however long. Well, you want to go back. <laughs> okay, thanks, Kate. And Robert, your view on uh, some of the challenges that, that sort of uh, present us? Yeah, I mean, I think intermediaries have a, a range of challenges at the moment. And it starts, I, th I think, with just getting us through the next few months in terms of where we end up in stamp duty land tax and getting everybody through the funnel as much as we can before the end of that first June deadline and then the September deadline, which, of course, is, is, a, is a different deadline, but certainly getting as many consumers out through that process. And certainly the discussions that we had um, in 2000, at the back end of last year with IMLA members helped a lot, I think, in terms of raising awareness of what we thought the issues might be within the conveyancing world and trying to push government to get changes. And that was a, a good piece of partnership right across the trade body world in terms of not just IMLA and AMI coming together, but um, also the whole of the convincing marketplace and the home moving marketplace to, to make that awareness of what the stamp duty issues might be in terms of reaching some pretty nasty precipice dates around the end of March, which have now been extended. We also have major issues around where we are on, on fees at the moment. We're about to go through an FC invoicing process where the costs of the compensation scheme have gone up significantly in successive years from around 300 million through 500 to million to over a billion pounds this year. The last bit is really the challenge, I think, of digital, 
Um, we're really interested in how we get digital to work better for everybody. Thanks, Robert. I just wondered if we could try and expand on on what you just said there a little bit more and look, looking at the digital transformation. I think that's impacted us all, you know, both actually working in the, you know, from, from a mortgage lender perspective, but specifically at brokers. How are you actually helping your members with the digital side of things and, and moving through that transitional period? Well, I think we're trying to persuade them to move slowly, unfortunately. I think we're being fairly negative about it, if, if, you really, if I was really honest, because I think what we see is a lot of disruptors coming into the marketplace with lots of bright ideas, but that gives us a very fragmented approach to technology. And therefore, if, we, if, a, if a broker wanted to bolt together all of these disruptors into any structure, it would cost them a vast fortune and be a very fragmented process. So what we're really trying to talk to some of the bigger players about, both in terms of um, our big direct distribution um, firms and networks, is how they're going to use the technology that already exists in some of the sourcing systems to integrate some of these disruptors and make the thing work effectively for the longer term. Because I think we are trying to pass a, pass a message out there that says that we still see in the same way that there have predominantly been um, two sourcing systems now disrupted by a third, we don't see the rest of technology coming in and disrupting in the same way. We're doing a lot of work um, and been trying to coordinate activity around particular identification and verification to try to get a, more, a better interface into the early part of the journey for consumers in order to get to um, a single point of entry where they can identify and verify, which works through the whole chain. So with um, the estate agent, with the um, conveyancer, with the lender, with the broker. And if we can get to that silver bullet, then that will help an awful lot. Instead of the customer having to be identified four or five times in the process, that will smooth the journey. Also then thinking about how we then pull of that information flow together in that once we've got that bit isolated, we can then expand that out. So visibility of the whole mortgage journey could be easier through single portals. I could only agree with what Robert's been saying about that and also comment that this is actually nothing new. It goes back a long way. I, I joined this industry 30 years ago and we were talking then about simplifying mortgage application forms, having a single application sheet um, and speeding up the process and wringing our hands over the fact that it took a couple of weeks or whatever. Uh, so there's nothing new under the sun in, in some ways. There has been progress in others. We have things called email. We have uh, mobile phones and more expectations from consumers that things are capable of being done faster. And I think that will do a lot to, to push things along. From a lender's point of view, um, as Robert said, a lot of firms come along promising everything, all singing, all dancing interfaces, which will do everything and cook your breakfast at the same time. Um, but as a lender, which, which one do you go for? Um, how do you bolt it onto your existing systems, train your staff? And then how can you be sure that all your intermediaries want to go want to go with that option when actually some of your competitors are going with that option? The best can be the, the enemy of the, the good in this. Sometimes you just want a, a sort of decent system that works well enough, um, not necessarily one that's got all the, all the bells and whistles added to it because over complexity, well, what can possibly go wrong? It probably will. We have a number of tech companies as associate members of Imra are. And part, part of, uh, of, of my role, I think, is to keep members informed as to what is out there, who the, the new firms coming in are, to give them a bit of a shop window to... Uh, explain to, to members um, how their systems work. It's not Imla's role to say this is the best system, this is what we should go with, um, but I think there is a big role to inform, educate and to challenge some of what's out there. 
um, and uh, give, give the tyres a good kick from time to time. Thanks, Kate. That's really interesting. And sort of linking back to some of the other issues that are out there in the market at the moment, how is IMLA also helping to support its members with the pandemic? And as Robert mentioned, to do with the um, stamp duty issues, we can still see that are there. We've had a number of discussions about this, some directly with Amy and some amongst ourselves as, as members. And the key word has been communication, really, keeping people informed as to what's happening. When we were all told to stay at home um, and not go out and uh, lenders and employers had to start setting their employers, employees up for, for, for home working, it was a massive challenge. And I think the lenders did a fantastic job um, getting up and running so they were able to serve their existing customers and keep the wheels turning. But it did cause a lot of disrupt, disruption. Of course it did. Um, and it meant that when it came to dealing with new business, uh, a certain amount of triaging had to go on. Um, uh, cases that were going to be easy to deal with probably went through faster um, and were accepted. Those which were going to be more complicated just had to be dropped for a while. That's, you know, I think that's completely understandable. And it's understandable that there was some frustration from intermediaries that they weren't able to make more progress on some cases. I hope a lot of that is now working its way through. It has been fueled by the stamp duty holiday because there's been such a rush of people wanting to complete um, and I was just listening to something yesterday on the radio, proudly announcing that lots of um, customers have got multiple offers in on multiple properties because they're so terrified of missing the one that they want. That's not going to help anybody because it's just uh, um, multiplying the, the work that's having to be done. So my members need to talk it through with their intermediaries, work out where the pinch points are and, and see what we can do to to manage customers' expectations as well, because someone who sees their dream property today who thinks they're going to complete by the end of June really needs a bit of a talking to. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. Thank you for that. Was there anything, Robert, just before we moved on, anything that you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I think we, we've been really passionate about trying to keep our members informed. We, we had a COVID-based Q&A paper, which we, we updated every two or three weeks during all of the crisis, which peaked at 28 pages. It's now back down to 21 pages in terms of stuff that's now folded back out. But just trying to keep members really on the ball with all the things that were happening. And our monthly Connect newsletter that goes out keeps them updated on many things. And we've been holding more breakfast meetings with our members, giving them the chance to interact and talk about the issues in the marketplace and making sure we're aware so that we can then either talk to our partner lender trade bodies or even individual lenders themselves. Because just sometimes that, that communication coming from I'm going to be arrogant enough to say sometimes the communication coming from me has a little bit more gravitas than it coming from the odd broker somewhere down the street. And therefore, because you can collect just, the general, you, yeah, the weight of the collective voice yeah. sort of thing. And yeah. I think one of the things that's going to be interesting is how we transition back out of this. As the country that's almost leading the way by way of, of vaccination, now, we're getting back to a point where we're going to have people back out in meetings again rather than doing this all virtually. I'm just wondering how we're going to transition in that my life appears to be 12 hours a day glued to a screen in meetings. And if I've got to start travelling again, as I have to start on Monday, believe it or not, um, how I'm going to fit in everything we're while I'm same. commuting again just doesn't seem possible at the moment. No, and I we're think the exactly stress and the pressures same. of all of that is going to be really interesting for everybody. I, I think you're right. I think we've all got that, that nervous anticipation, Robert, we're thinking about what's to come. I think some people might really struggle with it. I think having been almost almost become agoraphobic because we've we've just not had to go back into I, I'm, I'm struggling to think how I'm going to feel like being in a really crowded room again or on the underground really crowded I'm not sure how I'm actually going to physically or emotionally react to that to be honest we shall see I'm sure over the next few weeks and months uh, but, it, but it's been really interesting and I think um, you know it's great that you both acknowledged a lot of the challenges that are out there and that are facing brokers 
Uh, I, I look after several hundred brokers in the, in the Northwest. And, and part of the conversations that I've had with them over the last few days has been about you know, what access do they have or have they had to trade bodies and trade associations? When you actually sort of feed that down to the brokers on the ground, specifically, first of all, I think, Robert, if we, if we look at that from a broker perspective, if, if you were to sort of tie that into the value of being part of that trade association and, and, and perhaps even link into the ones that feel they don't need that, they don't need that involvement, what, what would you say about that? Because I've had mixed conversations where some people are involved, some people are aware, some people you know, don't have that awareness. We have a consultant who's been working with us for a little while who says, Amy is one of the, the best kept secrets in the mortgage world. And I think it's an interesting challenge. And one of the things that tells me how hard it is, is that the FCA just wrote it back out to 2,700 firms because they hadn't completed their certification entries on the, on the register. Now, that means that 2,700 out of 10,000 firms had just not engaged with a fundamental FCA requirement because they hadn't opened the emails, or if they had opened them, hadn't understood them. I know how hard it is to get firms to even begin to recognise that Amy exists, never mind the benefits of it. And I think that's the challenge, is that some people, a lot of people know it exists. Some people may read some of the stuff that I we, we put out there into the public domain or into the, into the trade press. But getting them to engage to think they might want to invest £230 a year to be a member if they're a one-man band is a big challenge. Now, do I believe there's benefit in it? Yes, there is, because what we will do is keep reminding them weekly, monthly, by issuing things to them that say, actually, you know, if you read all the SA stuff, you'll die in the attempt. But here's the three things you need to do this month that will keep you safe. And that's part of the challenge, I think, is people recognising that they can either pay, and I'm going to, you can use a compliance consultancy or a legal firm or a, an accountancy firm to help you do that, or you can pay Amy £230 a year for a one-man band in order to tell you the things you really need to know that are important to your business. Because the thing that we understand as a trade body, looking after purely mortgage brokers, is we understand what's important to your business and you. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And Kate, I'm just thinking of, we, we want to hear from both of you before the time runs out on this one. So Kate, was there anything else to add to that from your point of view? Maybe just... <sighs> If an intermediary is wondering what IMLA is about, part of my role, I think, is to keep the representatives on IMLA from the, from the mortgage lenders um, plugged into their own organisations because they are responsible for the, the interface between the lending side of what goes on and the intermediaries. But if you're a building society or a, an international bank, there's an awful lot else going on. Other people will be dealing with other things. Um, and you may be quite a long way away from some of the policy decisions being taken, which may nevertheless affect you. So part of it, uh, of, of my role, is, is to keep them informed as to what is going on elsewhere within their organisations or if something's cropped up in, in, on green mortgages or something. They, they may be miles away from the design of a green mortgage, but sooner or later, they're going to, there's going to be one and they're going to want their intermediaries to sell them. That's really helpful. Thank you to both of you. And I think probably one of the final questions is, a bit of a crystal ball if you, we didn't have you in place so if we didn't have your associations they didn't exist I mean Robert you touched on it there when you were talking about um, certainly companies or brokers who maybe find themselves as non-compliant so but Kate for you first you know if you weren't there you know there wouldn't be that voice to to help the lend you know what, what would you say to that if we weren't there I don't think it would 
be very long before somebody invented us or reinvented us. I really think that because because people who have like interests want to get together and talk and swap war stories or, or create common cause if they want to make representations to a particular organisation. That's That's why these trade associations have grown and why they are still there. That's really helpful. Thank you. Thank you, both of you. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much indeed. Real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That was Robert Sinclair of Amy and Kate Davis of Imla. The views expressed by external guests in this podcast are their opinions only and do not reflect the views of Barclays. If there's a subject that you'd like us to explore, then please email us at mortgageinsider at acast.com. And please do rate, review and follow so you don't miss an episode. I'm Tony Rimmer. And I'm Claire McPhail. Thanks for listening.